Your finances will leave a long-lasting impact on your family. After all, you only retire once. If you're looking to discuss all things pertaining to your retirement, you've come to the right place. This is Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart. Welcome to another edition of Retirement Matters Podcast with Michael Stewart, founder at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial, serving you here in the Crystal Lake area. I'm Mark Killian, your co-host, as we talk about investing, finance, and retirement with Michael. As always, we like to encourage you to go to the website, crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. Check out the team online. Check out Michael's website. Also, subscribe to the podcast while you're there. Give us a like, give us a review, and subscribe to us on whatever platform of choice it is that you like to get your podcasts from. Anytime you have questions or concerns, you can always reach out to Michael at 815-526-3092. That's 815-526-3092. He's been doing this for more than two decades as a financial planner, as a registered financial consultant. He's got his MBA in finance, and they're kind of a one-stop shop there at Crystal Lake with a CPA, enrolled agents, paralegals all on staff. So when it comes to all things financial and retirement matters, well, Michael and his team are a great place to turn to. That's why we call the show Retirement Matters. So Mike, thanks for being here, buddy. How are you this week? I am great, Mark. How about yourself? I'm doing very, very well. Hope that you've had a good week or two since the last time I talked to you. Oh, yeah. It's been great. Can't complain. And if you did, who would listen? <laughs> this is all true. <laughs> hey, listen, real, real fast. Let's talk about the SECURE Act and the RISA Act. There's a lot of pieces to that for maybe a lot of our listeners who aren't aware. There's some new legislation that's going through. I think it's gone through the House, but it's still got to go before the Senate. And basically, they're both are designed to do some changes to the retirement, and it's a whole big thing, and it would take a, an entire show to do that. Maybe we'll do that another day. But I wanted to talk about a piece of it that is in there, and that is that they're looking at pushing back the RMD age from 70 and a half to 72. I believe that's in the SECURE Act, and then the RESA Act is looking at pushing it back even further, and they may commingle and merge some of this you know, legislation together, who knows, but they're even thinking about maybe 75. So my question to you is, do you think it would be a good thing to move back the RMD age? Yeah, it, it's always a trade-off. So the RMD is the required minimum distribution. And for those that aren't aware is if you have pre-tax plans, like your 401k at work or a traditional IRA, the government's let you have that grow tax deferred, you know, from the dollar one going in. So you haven't paid any income tax on that money. So then once you get currently at 70 and a half, whether you need it or not, the government's going to force you to start taking a certain percentage of that out every single year. And the main reason is since you didn't pay taxes out on the front end, they want to make sure that they get some tax money out of that before you pass it on to somebody, somebody who might potentially be significantly younger than you and stretch this thing out. So with the SECURE Act that's going through right now is they're talking about raising that required minimum distribution, that RMDH from 70 and a half up to 72 or even up to 75, as you had mentioned on the other one. Mm -hmm. Now the trade-off is when I look at my clients, one or two scenarios, by the time we're approaching 70, 70 and a half, one of two things are going to be happening. One is they're already taking an income stream to supplement their income out of their IRAs, 401ks. So this really has little impact because if they're taking four or 5% out at supplemental income, they're already taking the money. So the required minimum distribution isn't an issue at any age because they're already utilizing some of that. In more cases than that, at least in our practice, about three quarters of our clients actually aren't even using their IRA or 401k. By the time they've got to 70 and a half, they've managed their cash flow, the other income sources, how we're tapping other investments. So they really don't need to take that money out as far as for their personal income. 
So they're kind of mad because now the government's forcing them to take money out of the retirement plans and pay income taxes on it. And, you know, a whole nother show can be about how that wreaks havoc on taxes on your Social Security (laughs) and everything else. But the key thing on that is so pushing it back would be helpful for those that don't need it. But as in everything related to the government, you know, it's not completely altruistic. They giveth and they taketh away. So the trade-off is that, sure, they might push the RMDH back to 72 or 74 or 75, but what they're trying to get rid of right now, which is huge for almost every client, especially if you have children or nephews or nieces that you know are your beneficiaries, is they're trying to get rid of what they call the stretch IRA provision. And it's basically how you have multi-generational wealth out of your IRA and 401k. And what I mean by that is that right now, if you're married and you pass and you have an IRA or 401k, it's a lateral move. Your surviving spouse can just put that in their name. And, you know, and depending on their age, once they hit 70 and a half, then they have to start taking required minimum distributions. If you're a non-spouse, so you're leaving it to your kids, your brother, your sister, your nephews, your nieces, right now they have three choices. They could take it lump sum and pay all the taxes on it, which is usually the worst scenario. They can take it out over five years and basically pay you know, about 20% a year to kind of average those taxes in over five years. Or they could just take the same required minimum distribution that you were supposed to. So maybe they've got to take out 4%, 5%, but the rest of that account can continue to grow tax deferred. So if you think about it, if you're leaving it to somebody who's 30, 35, 40, 45 years of age, you know, leaving it to your kids or family members, that money's going to continue to grow for the next 40 to 50 years, and they only have to take out a small percentage every year. So that's going to be create not only wealth for them, but you know potentially their kids and grandkids. So part of that SECURE Act, and, and the other one, is saying that, sure, we're going to push back the required minimum distribution age, but we're going to get rid of that stretch opportunity to let people carry it out a much longer period of time. And the only rationale behind that is it's a way that the government can get a lot more taxes, a lot faster on your IRAs and 401ks after you pass. So that's the one thing that the media is kind of brushing over, but it's huge as far as estate planning, financial planning, and trying to leave a legacy. You know, so it's great if they push the RMD age back, because if you don't need it, you shouldn't have to take it and you shouldn't have to pay taxes on money that you don't need. But once again, they give us with one hand, they're taken away with the other. <laughs> right. Which is usually the case. Maybe we'll do a show about the SECURE Act because there's a lot of things in there where they could be beneficial and they could not be. And usually a lot of these things are designed to be tax you know, revenue generating for the government anyway. But we'll keep our eye on that and we'll kind of report back in on that as more things come down the pike. And you kind of mentioned how it can kind of wreak havoc. There's some potential ways that it could wreak havoc. So let's use that as a transition, Michael, to our main topic this week. And that's just some things to avoid so you don't have some portfolio disasters. You know, much like our country's been under siege the last, it seems like, two years or so with crazy weather <laughs> disasters, right? It seems like every time we turn around, there's a you know series of tornadoes, some hurricanes up and down the coast, definitely wildfires and mudslides out west, you know, so a lot of different things going on. So let's kind of look at that in that frame of reference, some pretty big items that can kind of come out of nowhere and cause some portfolio disasters. So 
We'll start with the heavy hitter, and that is if, unfortunately, a spouse was to pass away unexpectedly, and the other spouse is probably, not probably, but let's say in this scenario, the other spouse is in the dark about the financial situation, which unfortunately still does happen quite a bit, where one person kind of leads the charge on the financial matters for the retirement future, and if that person passes, it leaves a real disadvantage for the other. Yeah, and that's not an uncommon situation. Typically, in most households, you know, either the husband or the wife. Every financial situation is a little bit different for every household, but typically, one individual, you know, handles the finances, and maybe someone else takes care of something else. So, you know, one of the requirements to become a client in our practice, if you're married, is that both spouses are going to come in and meet. Both spouses are going to be in agreement with what we do. There's a personality fit between not only myself and maybe whoever is the main spouse that handles, you know, the financial decisions, you know, even though they both mutually will agree on things, one tends to lead the charge a little bit more than others. In our practice, you can't even become a client unless I'm sitting down with both of you. You know, we might have a preliminary meeting because someone came in from, you know, one of our estate planning workshops or as a referral from our tax practice or so. But basically, you know, you can't become a client or we won't manage your money without managing your spouse's money. And the reason is that exact situation you're talking about. At some point, that's the way I explain it to them. At some point, you know, life happens. And whether it's a month from now or 20 years from now, one of us isn't going to be at this table. And we need to make sure that both are privy to who they're working with, why we're working with, and how we're positioned. Now, that doesn't mean you need to know what the internal fees of your investments are. It doesn't mean that you need to know, you know, exactly, you know, I've got X amount of stocks, bonds, and that. Most people could care less. But it is important that we're focused in an agreement on the plan and what we're trying to accomplish. Because at some point, if one of them's not there, we want to make sure that that plan is still in place and that it works out for both of them. And then the second thing that I want to talk about specifically about the widowed spouses, when we put a financial plan together for individuals, so we do a complete holistic plan. It's got a state planning, one to claim social security, your retirement income plan, how much risk we are or not going to take, you know, um, how we're managing taxes. So it's a completely holistic plan. When we put that together for clients, we say, okay, here's a great plan. We're in agreement. We're high five. And we're like, this is exactly what I signed up for. And then kind of the follow-up meeting after that is, okay, in the event that one of you were to pass, this is what the plan looks like. And a lot of times advisors won't go through that second step, but it's critical because just because the plan works today, will it still work if one of you passes? Will it still work if one of those social security checks goes away or the pension benefit gets reduced or all of a sudden an income stream is no longer coming in because the other spouse isn't there anymore? So, you know, it's important that both spouses are involved and just have a general idea of what we're trying to accomplish and that we're a good personality fit. And it's just as important that both spouses understand that that plan is going to work for them, whether they're both here or, God forbid, one of them were to pass. Now, that's really great information there, Michael. And yeah, it's a lot of places where people kind of don't think about some of those things. And the tax one is another place where people don't think about it. You're going from, you know, filing married to filing single. And that can wreak havoc as well. So a lot of places to keep your eye on and to think about. So you want to avoid these portfolio disasters. And we'll go with number two, obviously. A, a big target for this is, well, just an out-of-the-blue market downturn. We talked last week on the podcast about how we've been kind of just trading sideways, even though these big numbers look really neat on the news reports that it really, for the last little bit, I think you said something like 12 or 18 months, it's just been kind of trading sideways. Well, if a big market downturn like an 08, 09 happens out of the blue, 
it could force folks to, you know, A, work longer and not hit retirement when they wanted to, or really bad, have to maybe come out of retirement and pull a Brett Favre, if you will, and go back into the workforce. <laughs> yeah, a market crash is always going to be kind of in the back of everybody's mind just because it's, you know, painful. Sure. So what I'd like to tell a lot of our listeners, and we tell our clients all the time, so corrections, bear markets, all that's just natural. Recessions, it's all part of the natural business cycle. Now, what needs to change is how you're invested for the stage of life that you're in. So we can't control bear markets, stock market corrections, you know, when the next recession is going to hit or what Trump's going to tweet next. Now we have no <laughs> uh, control over that. What we can control is how much risk we're taking. And what we tell clients is we're going to take the amount of risk that we need to achieve the financial goals, whether that's income, growth, whatever it happens to be, no more, no less. Why that's important is you know, right now we get clients walking in right now, they're 63, 65 years of age, they're right at retirement or thinking about retirement the next year or two, and they're still 80, 90% in the market. And that's worked out great for the last 10 years because essentially the market's gone relatively straight up up until here recently. But the consideration is, you know, would squeezing out the next 10% on the upside, would that benefit you more than if you potentially lost 20, 30, 40%? Which one of those would impact your retirement in a larger way? And I always give a casino analogy. I said, with markets at all-time highs, you know, like we talked about, markets at all-time highs, you're 10 years older than you were the last time the market crashed. Yeah. And then with where you are today, consider it like you go belly up to, uh, you know, a blackjack table and they say, okay, if you win, you win 10 bucks, but if you lose, you lose 50. How long would you play that game? Right. And the reality is you wouldn't, but that's what many people approaching retirement or in retirement are doing right now. They're letting the greed kind of go up instead of taking a look and say, how much risk should I really be taking based on the stage of life I'm in right now? Yeah. Meaning that I can't afford to lose 20, 30%. So that's where the market, it's not that the market won't crash or a correction. And sometimes you can use that as an opportunity, you know, shift some conservative assets into a market that declined 30%. That's a great buying opportunity. But at the same time, you shouldn't be taking that amount of risk where it's going to hurt you or it's going to derail your plans or make you work longer. Well, Michael, you brought up the Vegas thing. And so I've got to take this opportunity to share my one and only super greatest Vegas uh, gambling story that I have. And it's the only one I'm going to have the rest of my life because all the other ones are not good and not interesting. But on the last time I trip out there, kind of a guy's weekend with my brother and some fellas did the same thing you're kind of talking about. I avoided playing. I didn't play. I just wasn't feeling it, whatever. Sat down and finally decided to play some roulette with him for fun and put 20 bucks on the table. And I kept winning. I kid you not. I worked $20 all the way up to 6,000. And was just now on the odds of that on roulette are pretty insane, right? I just kept hitting time after time after time. Well, then I started to drop and it got all the way down to like three or 2,500, somewhere in that neighborhood. And I was really feeling incredibly bad. Like I had done something really wrong, right? <laughs> and that uh, I felt bad, you know, I was like really upset with myself. So I did, I, I stopped. I was like, all right, you know what? I can't lose anymore. And I walked away feeling like, you know, not elated, like you kind of thought you should have been. I still turned 20 bucks into like two grand, <laughs> but I walked away feeling kind of eh, because I was trying to push for more and more and more and we do that when we see these market highs when we see this stuff you know even though you're getting close to retirement you go man i'd like to squeeze out just a little bit more 
No, exactly. Now, let me give you a great example of one of our clients. He's a retired Motorola executive. He's got a little over a million dollars with us. And he came and he was a rah-rah stock market guy okay. uh, three years ago when he became a client. So, you know, he had retired and came in and he had been playing the roller coaster. You know, hey, I'm up 20, I'm down eight, I'm up 12, I'm down four. And, it, you know, and it was exciting when he was a little bit younger. And he came to me and said, you know what, Mike, all I really want to get is a consistent income stream from here. I'm not trying to, you know, get market highs. I'm not trying to get 20% returns anymore. I want to make sure I don't have 20% losses. So we positioned him in an income only portfolio. So this million dollars is generating about, and this is after our 1% management fee, it's generating him 5% of interest and dividends on an annual basis. It's actually a little bit more. So he's generating about $54,000 a year of just interest and dividends alone from the million dollar portfolio. And he's using that to supplement his social security and his pension. I take that all so day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And but see, that goes back to our conversation. Some people, you know, they see that with the way the media is set up and with the way that Wall Street talks, it's about more, more, more. You know, look at everything's going higher. But in reality, when you sit down at our conference table, it's about what do we need our money to do? Yeah. So in his in his example, he said, you know, if I could get an extra forty, fifty thousand, and every situation's different. Sure. But if I can get an extra forty or fifty thousand dollars of supplemental income to maintain my lifestyle, and at the end of the day, I don't have to touch a penny of principal of my original million dollars in this case to do that, then what that means is when I pass, whether it's in five years or thirty years. That million dollars is still going to be there available if I need it for healthcare, or if I pass, it's going to be left to my kids and my grandkids. But in the meantime, the money's worked for me over that time. And I don't care what happens to the stock market on a daily basis. I don't care what the Fed does with interest rates. And that is so life changing for individuals because they actually say there's a purpose for my money. That's why we wrote the book, Purpose Based Investing. Assign a purpose to the money rather than just cross your fingers and hope the market goes up. Uh, great stories and great information here today on the podcast. We're getting a little long in the tooth because we're sharing some good information. So I'm going to squeeze in one more and then we're probably going to wrap up for this week, Michael. But if you're talking about avoiding portfolio disasters, the final place that can certainly do that is the long-term care expense, nursing home expense, whatever flag you want to fly for that. But that can wipe out, to your point, the conversation with that just that last gentleman, it can wipe out that potential legacy to leave to the family or even the spouse left behind dealing with with you know, the aftermath of the other spouse being in a long-term care deal. Yeah, so long-term care is a reality that many people have to face, you know, and a lot of clients, when they talk through, you know, will share family stories, whether it's immediate family of their parents or their grandparents. Sometimes, you know, nowadays it's even younger individuals that, you know, they're in their 60s or are having some kind of cognitive issues and things associated with it, you know, but we all either have a friend or family member or some acquaintance that has, you know, kind of experienced the issues associated with long-term care, whether it's either physical or whether it's through dementia or other kind of things or Alzheimer's. So the biggest thing about long-term care is, you know, when we sit down with clients and we're building that plan, we say, okay, we got to tackle, you know, future healthcare, long-term care and retirement. And that's really going to be a function of three things. One, are we going to get a long-term care policy? Here's the pros and cons about it. You know, we won't go through the whole scope of it for today. But, you know, one, are we going to get a long-term care policy? There's some good things and bad things about it. Two, are we going to get a hybrid long-term care policy, which combines both a death benefit if you never use it, along with long-term care benefit for life if you do need it. You know, so there's some trade-offs with that too, but a lot of people tend to lean to that one because it's a little bit cheaper. And there's a death benefit if you never actually use it. The third option is we're going to self-insure. 
And you can self-insure because you don't have enough assets. So you kind of self-select yourself into self-insuring because you can't pay for it anyway. Or you self-insure because you say, you know what? I've got $2 million, $3 million. I think we're going to be okay in the event that I needed care. There's no wrong answer between one, two, and three, but it is an answer that you have to make as far as protecting your assets and how they're invested as you're approaching it in retirement and how they're going to be managed throughout retirement to make sure that the nursing home expenses don't only wipe out the legacy for your heirs, but also if you're married, that there's still going to be resources available for your spouse who may not be requiring care as well. So it's definitely something that you, you got to kind of have on the high burner there just to make sure that the way everything's being managed, that you're trying to mitigate those potential health care costs. Well, thanks, folks, for listening to our podcast this week. Great conversation with Michael Stewart about avoiding some portfolio disasters that can come up. If you've got some questions or concerns or you heard something that piques your interest, make sure you give Michael a call at 815-526-3092. Before you take any action on anything, it's always a good idea to talk with a qualified professional. 815-526-3092. He's the founder at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial, a registered financial consultant, and just an all-around good person for you to talk to if you've got some questions or concerns don't forget you can also subscribe to the podcast and check us out online at crystallaketax.com that's crystallaketax.com crystal lake is a one-stop shop with a cpa enrolled agent and paralegal all on staff they can help when it comes to all things financial and any retirement matters michael thanks for being here on the program my friend you have a great week all right take care i'll see you around the bend mark we'll see you next time here on retirement matters thanks folks bye-bye investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. The information provided herein is for training or educational purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities, investments, investment strategies, or investment advice relating to securities, nor is the information or representation that any security is a suitable or appropriate investment for any person. Before acting on any advice, you should consider the appropriateness of the advice having regard to your own objectives, financial situation and needs. Please contact us to obtain our disclosure brochure relating to the services offered by Sound Income Strategies, LLC, and consider its contents before making any decisions. Where quoted, past performance is not indicative of future performance. Sound Income Strategies, LLC does not represent or warrant that the contents of this program are suitable for you from a compliance, regulatory, legal, or any other perspective. We shall have no responsibility for your use or non-use of the program or any portion thereof. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies, LLC are not associated entities.